Good afternoon. Happy holiday Monday. If you have one, I obviously don't. How rattled does that have me? Just spilled my coffee everywhere. I'm Blake Murphy. This is Jay's Talk Plus. We are 28 hours from the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Hopefully uh, the GMs out there didn't also just dump their coffees all over their computers and hold things up. Uh, That's the only thing I could think of that has the market as slow as it's been. It started picking up a little bit today, though. Josh Hader's on the move. Scott Efros is a New York Yankee. A couple other little things. Ahiri Adrianza, future general manager, now an Atlanta Brave. There's a little stuff going on, but the big pieces either moved on the weekend, like Luis Castillo going to the Seattle Mariners. And we're going to dissect that one a lot because suddenly the American League looks like the biggest race is maybe going to be the Jays and the Mariners for who hosts that wild card series. The Mariners stacking up. We're going to talk to Mikey Ahedo of Baseball Prospectus later who doubles as a Mariners fan in addition to a pitching analyst. He doesn't think the Mariners are done. The Yankees obviously have added Andrew Benatendi and Scott Efros. Most reporters out there seem to think they're not done and a starter could be on the way as well. Tempe Rays dabbling in the lower tiers as they do, picking up David Peralta as a platoon slash fourth outfielder type. Not a lot else going on in the AL just yet. The Angels have said uh, Shohei Otani is not getting dealt. Shocker. And the Juan Soto stuff continues to be just light rumblings. Nothing picking up too much. The Toronto Blue Jays are yet to get involved. That's not entirely surprising, given what we've heard throughout the course of the weekend and throughout the course of last week with our guests and our Jays insiders. There's a bit of sticker shock when Mark Shapiro spoke uh, around the announcement of renovations to Rogers Center. There's probably a bit of sticker shock on the Luis Castillo deal. Maybe less so with some of these more recent ones, but the Blue Jays will probably, I guess, let this go down to the wire. I think it's probably more that the sellers will let this go down to the wire at this point. A lot of names still out there. Who knows if they'll move, but... Some interesting targets. We're going to spend most of the first segment today going through your preferred targets, taking a deeper look at them. You can send those in to 590-590 on text. You can send them in to Blake Murphy ODC on Twitter. You can run them in to the studio and bring me some napkins. Clean up all this coffee I spilled. (laughs) Great way to start the show, guys. Uh, we're going to have a couple guests on a little later to help us sort through some of this stuff. Shai Davidi is going to join us, uh, give us the lay of the land with the Jays in Tampa Bay. He's down there with them. And talk to Mikey ahead of a baseball prospectus, as I said. Uh, get the Mariners side of things and see how some of the remaining pitchers on the trade market might look in Toronto. It might affect that wild card race. And we're going to talk to Ben Clemens of Fangrass. We spoke to him last week as he was rolling out his trade value series. Well, we got the whole 50 out now, and uh, four Jays are on it. couple potential Jays targets not on it. So maybe you think that there's a trade to be had there. The value's not 
otherworldly high. We'll see. We'll see what Ben thinks about that. Uh, for now, though, want to hear your preferred trade targets? Two five ninety five ninety two Blake Murphy ODC. I've got a list here of ones that were texted into me or tweeted to me at Blake Murphy ODC or, or sent to me on Instagram at eBlakeMurphy. It's a long list. A lot, a lot, a lot of names. And that can go two ways. It can say either, well, the Jays have a lot of holes and people are scrambling to fill them, or there are a lot of ways to improve your team still here 28 hours out from the trade deadline. I tend to lean toward the latter. A lot of ways the Jays can make themselves better between now and 6 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. As a reminder, of course, wall-to-wall trade deadline coverage here at Sports at 590, the fan tomorrow. Um, Jays Talk Plus, in addition to Blair and Barker in their usual spot, Jays Talk Plus will go 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. tomorrow, and that last hour will be uh, simulcast on television. So you can check uh, me and John Morosi and Ben Nicholson-Smith out sitting around some microphones while also being shown on TV. Let's refresh you on the weekend that was. Jays are off today. Good, good time to have an off day. I don't know if I would want to play the day before the trade deadline. It was a good weekend. Jays won three or four against the Tigers. The Tigers are bad, but you took three or four. However you got there, you did what you were supposed to do. You improved to 57 and 45 with a plus 61 run differential. That's third in the AL by record. That's third in the AL by run differential. Unfortunately, because the Yankees are the Yankees this year, and they've been so good, you don't have much of a chance of winning the division. So the focus then becomes on that top wildcard spot. The Jays have a four and a half game cushion on a playoff spot, period, which is, you know, there are three tiers to the new playoff format. Can you win the division? That one's probably out. Can you grab the top wild card? That's probably the goal at this point. And can you make the playoffs if you're a, a level down from there? So the Jays are, are a big yes in can you make the playoffs? Four and a half game cushion right now. And would be playoff teams would have to jump a couple times, a couple teams rather, on their way to catch the Jays. They're also two and a half up on Seattle for that first wild card spot. That is, I think, barring a big losing streak for the Jays or another huge winning streak for the Mariners or, or something out of the ordinary, out of the expected like that. I do think that that first wild card spot is what we're going to focus on for the most part, these last two months and change. And a reminder that I kind of forgot about until today when my mother was trying to plan some family stuff for later in the summer because of the lockout adjusted start to the season the regular season goes into well into the first week of October. Jays will have that makeup series with the Orioles. A lot of games with the Orioles left. It's a tough month here for the Jays, or at least a tough three weeks. Their next 22 games include 16 on the road. And over those 22 games, an average opponent winning percentage of 540. That's really good. The Jays have been a game below 500 on the road. Nothing special there. Um, actually, the Yankees are the only team in the AL East uh, above 500 on the road. That's in large part because all the AL East teams except for Boston are really good at home. Hard to have a great road record when all the teams in your division are very good and very good at home. 
Um, but the Jays, so a 540 opponent average winning percentage, that's basically you're playing on average the Mariners or Phillies every night for the next three weeks plus. That's tough. The teams around you also starting up. <laughs> Reinforcing as well. Um, the Yankees added Scott Efros. Their bullpen looks in okay shape again now after losing uh, a couple of arms to injury in Michael King. Clay Holmes at the top of that thing. Pretty good still. Scott Efros, Jonathan Lasuaia, I rolled this Chapman all in there. I don't think they're done. It's hard to bounce back from losing the pieces they lost to injury and still be okay, but they're trying. They're the Yankees. They're a million games up in the AL East. They're not going to turn away and stop trying to add. Again, the teams that you're looking at in the wild card race Primarily at this point, Seattle, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, Boston on the periphery of that a little bit, but kind of falling off a tad. And then the AL Central teams are all in the mix, but it's hard to narrow in on one or two because they're all within two games of each other for the division too. That that has like that has the makings of a if you lose the division, maybe you sneak into a wild card. But all those teams are going to be focused on making on winning the division rather. So Tampa and Seattle are the teams you're kind of keeping an eye on. Again, Seattle added Luis Castillo. They gave up four prospects, including the number 11 prospect in ULV Marte and another guy really like in Edwin Arroyo. That's a big ask for Luis Castillo. But Luis Castillo is very good. And as it turns out, you have to give up a lot of players to get someone the caliber of Luis Castillo. The question for the Jays this next little bit is going to be, did Castillo set the market in a way that that's what they have to pay for Frankie Montes? Or did the market see Luis Castillo as better than Frankie Montes? Which it probably should. Castillo has a much longer track record. Montes has more injury red tape. Uh, This is only his second year going over 100 innings, whereas Luis Castillo has a couple uh, up in the 170, 180, 190 range. Steele's also in season six of being a very effective starter at volume. Whereas Montes had a couple rough ones mixed in there. Probably what you'd call his fourth good season. But again, only a second season going over 100 innings. Castillo's better. So I, I don't think Oakland could come to you and say, well, that's what Seattle gave up for Castillo. You have to give us that for Frankie Montes. The similarities are there, though. Um, Same, you know, tier of pitcher. Neither is a free agent until 2024. So there's that level of control. Something to watch, though. And I, you think about this sometimes, but it's hard to know exactly where the team's preferences are going to lie because they are not going to come out and say it. It would be terrible negotiating to come out publicly and give away this kind of stuff. But they have the highest payroll in franchise history right now. That projects to be even higher next year. 
even if Hyunjin Ryu is ruled out for the season, you get a little bit of an insurance kickback on that. It's not covering the $20 million. You have an extension for Jose Barrios that kicks up in dollars next year. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be more expensive in arbitration. Teoscar Hernandez is going to be more expensive in arbitration. You can go down the list. This team's going to be more expensive this year or next year. Maybe, given that fact and the fact that rental players cost less in terms of prospects, maybe the Jays are shopping in the rental tier. We've always kind of assumed they'd want guys with control because that's how this front office has operated. But if they are projecting their budget ahead, maybe a rental better fits what they're trying to do, especially if it means, you know, you're giving up uh, the 15th best prospect in your system instead of the 10th best prospect in your system. What would be great is if news breaks in this next two hours so we could break it all down live. The risk is, of course, we'd probably lose Shai Davidi as a guest and Ben Clemens as a guest. And if it's the Mariners, Mikey Aheto as a guest. Um, but we'd persevere. There are a lot of names left on the market. So I'm going to scan through some of these that you guys have sent in via text, via tweet, via Instagram. Um, I'm not going to read all your names and locations out because they've come in from so many different places and there are a lot of repeat names. The big ones that people seem focused on, and this makes a ton of sense because John Morosi said on the Blair and Barker show earlier that, that he thinks there's about a 50-50 chance of something like this happening. And you just saw these guys. The Detroit Tigers are bad, should be sellers, and have a very good bullpen. Joe Jimenez has been a popular name. I'm a fan. 27-year-old righty. Lots of control left. Not a free agent until 2024. Doesn't project to have a big arbitration salary next year. And he's striking out over 35% of the batters he faces while walking only 5%. That's a 7 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio almost. Misses bats. Throws hard. That's what the bullpen needs. Little bit of concern in that Joe Jimenez has only recently been good. He had a 596 ERA last year, 715 the year before. The two years prior to that, he was a mid-threes guy. But he's having the best season of his career beyond just ERA. His ERA is three, even. Um, his peripheral stats suggest he should be even better than that. But career-high striker rate, almost a career-high swinging strike rate, by far a career-best walk rate. Those are important indicators. So even if you don't think he's a lights-out closer type, you can be pretty certain he's solid. That bullpen also has Michael Fulmer. It has Gregory Soto, who's a big power arm from the left side. It sounds like they're not super eager to trade Gregory Soto. Most of the rumblings out there from reporters is that Soto and, and Tarek Skubal are available, but the price would be potentially prohibitive. Soto's got a 236 ERA from the left side. Not quite the strikeout rate Jimenez has and double the walk rate, but uh, it is very hard to square up Gregory Soto pitch. Less than, fewer than 3% of the fly balls he's allowed this year have left the park. Depending on which underlying metric you look at, 
could, because some of them assign credit for that to a pitcher. Some of them don't. There's some regression coming there, but I still think a hard throwing lefty who misses a lot of bats. I don't think the Jays would drop him into the closer spot. I think he'd fill the Tim Mays role and bump Tim Mays down into Anthony Bonda role. Not a bad outcome there. Um, the reason that you maybe won't see Soto move is that he's controllable until 2026. Even as a selling team, the Tigers could get a couple more years out of Soto before they move off of him. Uh, Michael Fulmer, a different case altogether. 29 years old, making $5 million, free agent after the season. He is absolutely the type of guy you see move over these next 27 and a half hours or so. The concern with Fulmer, other than the long stretch of his career he spent as a bad starter, um, by season and a half he spent as a bad starter, he walks a lot of guys. And like Soto, depending on whether you credit him for keeping the ball in the ballpark or ding him because you'd expect that to even out if he moved to Toronto and if he had a larger sample, uh, especially because he was homer prone earlier in his career, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of walks. And as much as uh, the bullpen needs swing and miss stuff, I'm warning you now, a guy that throws hard and doesn't hit the strike zone is going to be frustrating. Not as frustrating as a guy who doesn't throw hard and doesn't hit the strike zone, uh, which the Jays have some of. But it might not be a, a slam dunk there. Andrew Chaffin is another name from the Tigers, but he is reportedly unvaccinated. Uh, so I don't think he'd be uh, an option for the Blue Jays unless his status were to change. The Jays are heading out on the road, so you've got a little bit of a buffer runway here, but you have to be two weeks out from that vaccination to enter Canada without a quarantine period. So, um, and maybe that's a factor. There there are there have been rumblings that Josh Hader is a similar case. Um, Josh Hader also has some other off-field instances in his past. Um, realistically, I just don't think the Jays were going to be willing to pay that kind of price for a reliever, even an elite one like Josh Hader. Uh, San Diego gave up a reliever, a decent swing man, one top-ish prospect, and then another prospect. Nothing. Abrams wasn't in the deal. That's what you're looking for with any San Diego thing. They're going to be an interesting team to watch this next little bit too because there had been reports that they wanted to get under that competitive balance tax line. Yeah, adding salary isn't going to do that for you. Uh, one name I wanted to take a look at that didn't come up in texts and, and tweets from listeners is Rizal Iglesias from the Angels. He makes a lot of money. So depending on your willingness to spend on a reliever, maybe this is a, a non-starter for you. He's locked up until 2025 at $14.5 a, a year. He's also not having a great year with a 404 ERA. I'm probably not doing a good job selling you on this guy, right? Well, strikes out 33% of the batters he faces, only walks 6%. Misses a lot of bats. Maybe if we dig in further, there's some red flag in the profile. His velocity is down uh, one and a bit mile per hour this year. 
And with a hard-throwing, faster, hard-throwing fastball slider guy like that, you got to be aware of any velocity dip. Could neutralize his changeup a little bit too if the fastball ticks off. But the Angels probably want out of that money. Maybe that's something you could do with a low prospect cost. A couple other names we received. David Bednar has been a popular one from the Pirates. Maybe you could do some one-stop shopping and get Quintana, Bednar, and Brian Reynolds all at once. But Bednar has multiple years of control left. And if you hear that term, you don't really understand. So say you're the Pirates and you're a low-budget team. The losing team aspect of it, you should be thinking, yeah, trade away anyone who isn't going to be around when we're competitive again, get what you can for them. At the same time, David Bednar is only 27. You have him until 2027. Is there a real rush to move him out? He makes the league minimum. That's the type of guy maybe a team like the Pirates wants to hang on to because he's affordable. And you can always sell a guy like that in future years. My counter to them would be that there is a high attrition rate on relievers. And you don't know if David Bednar is going to be this good again. He was this good last year, but he was pretty shaky before that. The walk rate's not elite, but if you're the Blue Jays and you can get a David Bednar in a package that brings other pieces back, you're all over that. 34% strikeout rate, 7.5% walk rate, 16% almost of swings at his step or, or, or of his pitches are swing and miss. It's a lot of good stuff. The other team that's fascinating over these next hours, the Baltimore Orioles. Because they have overperformed. They're up to 500. They're 51 and 51. If their front office were being honest, I think they would tell you that this year they were expecting to be sellers at the deadline. If they were being really honest, maybe they would even tell you that they kind of wish that they hadn't been this good so they could sell more justifiably. It's always a tough thing when a team is playing well and has been exciting and fun to then turn around and tell that clubhouse and that fan base, ah, not enough. We're going to move pieces anyway. If they were to do that, there are a lot of bullpen arms to like in Baltimore. Top of that list is Felix Batista. I know you're thinking Jorge Lopez, Jorge Lopez, but Felix Batista's ERA is 0.02 lower. Uh, so let's go through Batista's side first. Again, like with the Tigers and the Pirates, though, Batista is controllable until 2028, even though he's 27. He took a while to get to the majors. 34.4% strikeout rate, sub 10% walk rate, Good swinging strike rate. These are the things you're looking at. When you're sorting for relievers, you're almost always going, okay, click the losing teams. Let's see strikeout minus walk rate. It's not perfect, but it's by far the most efficient way to sort relievers. And a lot of Orioles come up. Felix Batista is one of them. Jorge Lopez is another one. He's a little bit more expensive and nearer to free agency. So maybe Baltimore's, and he's older, maybe Baltimore's a little more willing to let him go. Doesn't miss bats at quite the level of Batista. But he's got a 168 ERA as a closer. That's that's hard to pick nits with. The other name there would be Brian Baker. Former Blue Jay Brian Baker. Um, 
he's struck out a decent amount of guys. This is not a, this would not be a sexy addition, um, but he's there and could ostensibly be very, very cheap given that he's, you know, 27 years old and not really a guy to use a term, but he struck out almost a quarter of the batters he's faced this year. He's got that walk right down from where it was in the minors. Uh, if you're looking at inexpensive additions, Baker is one of them. Now, this is probably, I hope it hasn't been boring. I hope you're learning about these relievers, but this far from the deadline, we're still talking bigger hopes, I think. The most popular name, other than Gregory Soto, I think Gregory Soto was the most popular name I got texts in or or tweets in about. Frankie Montes is out there and people have attached the Jays to him because there's the relationship with Oakland because he's a starter with an extra year of control because he's been very, very good. Let's take a break and let's talk to Ben Clemens of Fangraphs about Frankie Montes who didn't make his top 50 annual trade value column, but neither did Luis Castillo and look at what Luis Castillo returned. We'll go through the Castillo deal see how that might affect the Jays' approach of starting pitching, and we'll uh, pat the old Jays on the back a little bit as we wait for news because Ben had four Jays in his top 50 uh, trade value column. In fact, four Jays in his top 30. Ben Clemens of Fangraphs next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Something weird's going on in my headphones, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, we are 27 and a half hours out from the MLB trade deadline. The Toronto Blue Jays haven't done anything yet. That's a big old yet. Moves may come. Baseball right now may still be in the process of recalibrating after the package Seattle gave up for Luis Castillo, the package the San Diego Padres gave up for Josh Hader. To help us sort through some of this, from Fangraphs, our pal Ben Clemens. Ben, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you, Blake? I'm good. Uh, so before we get into the specifics here, you you roll out this huge trade value series at Fangraphs. It's a ton of work. It's a ton of conversation. It's a ton of writing. What is your decompression activity after all that's done? Like one to ten goes up. It's live. What do you do to kind of exhale? I went on a few hikes this weekend, had a few beers, and just generally relaxed. Did a little cooking, which is nice. I uh, during the during the writing of the series, I was just like eh, vegetables, rice, throw some sauce that's in my fridge on. So did a little cooking this weekend. Took some nice hikes. It's raining here in San Francisco a lot, which is strange, but uh, still had to get outside some. It's just I was tethered to my computer for a week, so. <laughs> Yeah, we have uh, different approaches when we're very busy with work and have to throw food together quickly. You going with, ah, oh, yeah, just rice and vegetables. And I, I thought for sure you were going like, yeah, I just ate a bunch of bad takeout. Uh, ben, this is why you are better than me. One of the the main reasons 
uh, why you're better than me. So kudos to you. And whatever you that that thing you posted on Twitter that looked pretty good. Are you, you're uh, you're talented in the kitchen, I guess. I am all right. My wife's a lot better, but I'm trying to improve. Well, that's all we can do, right? We can just try to improve. Um, so the trade value series was excellent as always. For anyone who doesn't know, Ben goes through all of baseball and tries to, through stats and conversations with people around the league and scouts and his own opinion, put together a list, one to 50, and some honorable mentions of who would have the most trade value in baseball. If every player could be traded one for one for each other, how would that shake out? Was it a little weird to come to the conclusion that Wander Franco is number one when it kind of feels like there's a non-zero chance he gets dealt at some point? Yeah, it's very, very strange. And in talking to a lot of the people who have compiled this list in previous years and comparing it to last year's list, which I uh, was half of the brain trust on, this is definitely one of the strangest years of the top where I think it's pretty inarguable that the top five guys are the top five guys. But I would go through and put one of them in first and look at it and be like, nah, what? There's too <laughs> many risks. And I'd put the other guy up there and I'd be like, oh, God, way too many risks. And, you know, you keep shuffling it. There's just... um. The, the way that you become a really valuable baseball trade asset is by being young and great and on a long-term contract. And all the guys who fit that bill right now have some question marks around them. And all the guys who fit that bill could also be traded for more sure things, right? Who are maybe a little bit more expensive, but a little more known, a little further along on their development curve. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. I don't envy you having to put all that together. But again, great job. It was excellent. Um, I had... I want to throw a hypothetical by you, and I already know your answer because of the trade value column, but I'd thrown this at a couple guests last week just for fun. Um, the Nationals call you and the Angels call you, and both teams offer the exact same – they're willing to take the exact same trade package, and you can get Shohei Otani or Juan Soto. You had Otani 27 in your trade value column and Soto at number six. So you would take Juan Soto, but give us the the reasoning there. If both of those guys were on the market right now, you think Juan Soto should command a little bit more? Yeah. So the reasoning is not because I think Soto is better than Otani. And interestingly, if you look at the various projection systems we used, as well as how good they've been since they came into the league, they're about the same, actually. Like Soto's a better hitter and I think even Otani would tell you that if you asked him, like, who's been performing better. It's so He's just always, like, he's having a down year, and he's 50% better than league average. <laughs> Pretty impressive. But, you know, Otani pitches. That's really nice. And if I had to trade for one player for the rest of this year, particularly with the way that pitching leverages up in the postseason, I'd take Otani. There's also extra rest days when you travel in the playoffs. So that's really nice. Uh, the big differentiator is just that you get an entire extra year, so almost – almost twice as much team control over Soto. And I think that's particularly valuable given the fact that Batani is a pitcher and it's just really, really scary to predict their availability. If he, if his shoulder is just like barking one day, he might miss a month of starts. And it's really nice that you have the, the out of the fact that he's still a great DH when that happens. But that's just scary if you're going to trade because either of these guys would cost you like your favorite prospect and then also your second favorite prospect <laughs> and then also somebody could it's kind of scary to do that for a guy who gets a lot of his value by the fact that he's available to pitch every six days. I, I will caveat that with whenever I ask anyone like in the baseball industry on the team side, where should I put Shohei Otani? They all said, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's, 
It's impossible. I, I made a bunch of copies of the list with no Otani because I was just like, how do I compare him to a person? He's so different. It's a it's a tough one, man. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there. Um, I, I think you did as good a job as you could have with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, this that is, one, no idea on the value. Yeah. No. And it's one where honest, I, I would bet around the league, like not only are people giving you shrug answers, but if, you know, if he were offered, if he were put up for, um, you know, let's say it was like a, a blind bidding or something like that on trade packages. I think they'd probably be all over the place because of the risks you outlined. So um, not all that surprising. What was maybe a little surprising to me about the list was that you're pretty high on some Blue Jays. Uh, Alejandro Kirk at 27, Bobachet at 21, Alec Manoa at 19, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at number nine. Ben, I have to assume that this is, you've been coming on this show a lot and you're feeling a little Toronto friendly these days. You know, I, I feel a little bad. Last week, I told you there'd be three Jays in the top 20, and then I swapped Bobachette down from 20 to 21, kind of last minute. Um, That's all right. You made yeah, up for I, it with the fourth J on the list because you had only told me three in the top 20. I didn't know about the fourth one being in there. So I'd say we came out even better. Yeah, I mean, I would put it this way. I think the Jays have some holes in their team, and, you know, it's not the, a perfectly constructed team, but one thing that they've done incredibly well at is basically getting the most out of their top tier talent. And I think all these guys are pretty awesome. And they're also going to be Jays for a while, which has a lot to do with ranking highly on this list. Like it's a, it's a list of the best players, but it's also a list of the players who will be around for a while and are young. And I think that's what has people liking Bichette and Vlad in particular a lot. It's easy to see why Manoa and Kirk would be high on this list. They're, you know, they're going to be on the team for a long time. And that that's always a big factor. Manoa's a Cy Young contender in his rookie year. <laughs> I guess not rookie year, but, you know. Yeah, his first full year. season, yeah. Season. I, I don't exactly know how the cutoffs work, but that that's almost always going to earn you a pretty high spot just because pitching is volatile, but being really good right now is a great indication of being really good tomorrow. So he was always going to be kind of shoved up high on the list. Kirk, I mean, he's one of the best hitters in baseball, and no one who I talk to... <laughs> thinks anything other than that, all the question marks are just like, well, if he becomes a DH, is that bad? And the answer is like, I mean, not that bad. He's a really good hitter. <laughs> yeah, he's very so, good. Yeah, that's why he's so high. But yeah, the, the Blue Jays are really good at, like, neither Manoa, I mean, Manoa was a first-round draft pick. Kirk was not. Kirk was kind of a less heralded guy, but the Jays do a great job getting the most out of their top-end talent. So the one I, I know you did in your fan graphs chat after the trade values column, someone asked a bit of a question about why Vlad was so high. And your answer was kind of like dot, dot, dot. He almost won the MVP last year. I can see why there's still plenty of Vlad optimism at number nine. And it never feels like he's far from a hot streak. When you went through this and you talked to people around the league, was Boba Shett a bit of a divisive one. He's, he's 24. He's coming off a year where he had 29 homers, 25 stolen bases. He obviously plays a premium position, but there are some flaws with the, his approach at the plate. And he comes in at a 100 WRC plus right now, exactly league average. Um, certainly lots of reason to be optimistic about him being a good player moving forward. Uh, but was he someone that, you know, when you asked around the league, there were varying rankings on him? Yeah, absolutely. I think that he is, He's really beloved by a lot of uh, a lot of pro scouts. He just really looks the part, and I mean, you, you watch him play a lot. 
when he gets into a ball, like his swing just looks so natural. Mm -hmm. He really looks like he should be a guy who hits just a ton for power and average. And yeah, his approach holds him back basically. And he seems to perform enough despite it. I mean, he has a down year. He's having a pretty bad down year this year, really, and still being valuable, which is a good sign in his favor. But yes, he was, he was one of the more divisive players on the list. Interestingly, I mentioned that the, the pro scout kind of guys really liked him. Uh, models really like him too, which kind of surprised me. So the first thing I did in building this all up was get a bunch of projection systems. And they actually had Bichette higher on this list than mm. I ended up putting him, which really surprised me, honestly. I'm not, I mean, on a relative basis, I'm not a huge Bichette fan. I'm a big sucker for a guy with a good approach. And so I was not predisposed to have him super high on the list. I've actually moved him down relative to kind of my naive waiting, <laughs> but he, even then he was a very divisive player. Like you said, I think some people said, oh, look, I want a guy who's actually hitting well right now, but others said, well, there just aren't that many shortstops in baseball who are capable of playing as well as Bichette does. And that's really valuable to me. I think that was, that was really the divide. How much do you care about his possible top end and how much do you care about what he's done this year? Right. That makes sense to me. And, and you know, I, I kind of figured he'd be all over the place. So those are the those are kind of the core four that the Jays will be building with from here. Let's turn it and talk about some names who could be coming in because the trade deadline is tomorrow and you do this trade value series right before the deadline because we expect moves. Um, first, though, before we get into the Jays specific, you wrote up the Edmund Sosa, Jojo Romero trade. Um, I'm curious, in the fan graphs, like group chat or whatever, how do you guys decide who gets to write up what? And are those smaller deals sometimes more fun to dive into? Because, like, everyone knows Juan Soto is awesome, and if you get him, that's awesome. Uh, something like an Edmund Soso, Jojo Romero, is maybe a little a chance to kind of dig into something not everyone knows a little bit more. Do you like those ones? Oh, yeah. It's like showing people the music you like that they don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely more fun. I mean, Soto is an exception. Soto's one of my favorite hitters in the game, just because, like I said, I'm a sucker for good approaches. But, you know, your average big headline trade, like a Frankie Montes trade, which I'm on the on the clock to write. Whenever that happens, I'll write it up, unless I'm busy with the Soto write-up. Uh, I don't know, like, hey, your team acquired a great pitcher, and they surrendered some good prospects. For them. Like, <laughs> is that interesting? It is. It's good for your team. But like you said, it's, it's kind of less uh, enjoyable to write up. It's kind of a, a first-come, first-serve system. Uh, we, there's, there are few enough of, of us that we can just talk to each other and say, Hey, like I want to do this or someone will say, Oh, actually, uh, I have a good angle for Sosa. I want to write that one or vice versa. Like, uh, Jay Jaffe is writing up this wild, uh, Taylor Rogers, Josh Hader trade today. And basically like that came down to some of us route, like make, getting coffee or <laughs> taking our dogs on a walk. And Jay was like, I actually have a great way to write this up. So it, it's a small enough operation that we just kind of talk to each other and figure it out. But I'm with you on the uh, the less heralded trades being fun. Yeah, I mean, the, the Josh Hader one's super interesting for a number of factors, but also just that level of return for a reliever. Um, so let's let's kind of set the market here for what this next 27 hours looks like. You see the return for Luis Castillo. You see the return for Josh Hader. Um, maybe some of those other lower-end deals like a Scott Efros or a David Peralta, maybe those affect... Um, what the market is going to be, but have things played out more or less to what you expected? Are we seeing more of a seller's market? How do you, how do you read the first couple big deals here? I think what this tells you is that 
how your team is behaving around Soto is really warping the market. <laughs> so the Mariners basically, when they decided, oh, we're out of the Soto sweepstakes, they cashed in a deal pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And from basically the reporting that Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan have done, I'm not going to claim any uh, any real knowledge here. It seems like once the Mariners decided they weren't they weren't going to really be involved in Soto, they didn't want to give up the prospects the Nationals were asking for. Then they said, oh, like let's go get Castillo with the guys we were reserving for Soto. I think that that was a Noel V. Marte is a divisive prospect. He's just tooled out like crazy. The guy looks like he's going to be a star. And people kind of wonder if he'll stick it short and how much that matters. His star is down a little bit this year, despite hitting well, which kind of confuses me. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> that's really my uh, my forte, that area of expertise. But I think it sets the market at it's going to be expensive to get controllable starters. And I think that's not new, but really pushed to an extreme this year because starting pitching is uh, really becoming a stress point for basically every team. So a guy who looks healthy and you know will be good is going to be really valuable. I mean, Montes, I like Castillo more than Montes, but I think that's helped set the market. And if you look at the way the Padres kind of danced around, like you said, big return for Josh Hader, but they managed to do it in a way where they used Taylor Rogers, who can replace Hader's production this year, kind of, and they gave up a guy who the Nationals wouldn't want and LeMay. They managed to keep open their Soto package, basically. Like the guys that they would probably have to give up to get Soto, they managed not to move in this deal. And they're, I think a lot of teams are trying to do things like that, move around the little pieces that won't affect our ability to make a big offer. And then as soon as Soto gets traded, I think all the big offers are going to kind of clear out. <laughs> and then, yeah, I guess if you're a seller, you don't want to move necessarily until the Soto thing drops because someone might turn back to you and be willing to include that prospect they weren't a day earlier. So yeah. um, you mentioned Frankie Montes. He He's where I wanted to go with this because him and Luis Castillo are kind of in the same tier I would say uh, one extra year of control beyond this year and I know I know you just said that that Castillo is better than Montes I would agree with that completely but I know that Montes is a guy that you've liked and you basically without saying as much back in late June wrote the free Frankie Montes piece of this guy's so good and so entertaining and the team around him is so bad Um, if that's what Castillo commanded do you have a sense of what Frankie Montes I guess should cost or, or how willing a team like the Toronto Blue Jays that's firmly in the wild card mix and would probably start him in a game in a three game wild card series like like how valuable is a guy like Montes in your eyes? Uh very. I think what is best about Montes is that he's good enough to definitely be in your three man rotation. I don't think there are many teams in baseball that wouldn't have him in that top three. And that is really important. Like you said, like the format this year means that you really want three good guys that three good guys are great to have in a divisional series. And now that they're also useful in the wild card series, having a pitcher who is like a, a rock solid lock to be in your top three is really important. I mean, aside from that, he's also just, durable of late i mean he hasn't missed a start since 2019 so that that's good enough for me it's a pitcher that's you know you're grading on a curve there and with that in mind teams i think he'll at least command a top 100 prospect okay and probably something behind that one thing that i'm purely speculating on but based on the way that the a's have basically have traded their guys in recent years they like to get a bit of like breadth to go with the mm-hmm. top end. They like to get multiple trade, multiple chips. 
And sure, they'll they'll ask for a really good prospect, but they're not going to be asking, say, the Jays for Gabriel Moreno. It, that wouldn't make sense. I don't even think the Jays would necessarily do that trade straight up, but it's not how the A's think about prospect acquisition. They want to get, like, maybe Aurelvis Martinez and then two lower-tier guys or something like that. They want to get depth in addition to one headliner. And I think they'll command a headliner for Matos because he – he seems to have returned from his injury scare like quite well. Uh, again, like he, he's healthy for a pitcher, which is impressive because I was worried about that. But he came back and looks fine. I think that's also one reason that his market has been held up is that they wanted to demonstrate that he could make two starts. And he's made two starts, and he went uh, he faced 24 batters in his most recent start and looked fine. Velo looked okay. Uh, yeah, if they can get like Martinez plus, I think that that's kind of the return that Oakland looks for in trades like this. And also that's like a decent fit for the Jays. I haven't watched a lot of Rolvis Martinez. He's obviously a well heralded prospect. Yeah. We have him in our top 100. I can tell but, you right now though, he's not a good, like given what I know about you and what you value and what we just talked about with Bo Bichette, Rolvis Martinez is not going to be your kind of guy. Yeah. And he's also, I mean, prospect being blocked is overrated because look, if they're good enough, they'll find a way in and one of your major league guys will fail. It's rare that you're like, Oh, I have a, a starting second baseman and third baseman. And in three years, they're both still there. And my prospect worked out too. Uh, I discount that. But <laughs> if you were going to have a team where that's the case, wouldn't it be the blue Jays? Like, how are they going to find space for him in the infield? It's just a, it's a tough spot right now. And so that kind of dulls his immediate value. Like you said, I, I, I'm not a, I guess I wouldn't be a big fan approach wise. And also don't speculate about what you're going to have two years from now. Like, go win right now when it's on the table. You don't know if your good guys will be healthy or performing in two years. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's the reason why pitchers like Castillo and Montes and again, Tyler Maley is not coming to Toronto. I guess we've pretty well established <laughs> at this point. But he'll also command a decent return for the same reason, just that right now pitching is really prized because starters are just not going long this year. And there are a lot of teams that look like they're in win now mode. So I think like a top 100 prospect, I, I don't know. Like I don't know all the different outlets and who's a top 100 prospect and which one, but a guy that is that kind of person. Yeah. A guy prospects. you've heard of is a, is an even easier way to put it. Right. Like, like sure. Toronto exactly. blue Jays fans have probably have a familiarity with the top 10 names in the system or whatever. And, and I know before you guys text in, I know there are some of you that know like the top 70 names in the system, but like generally I feel like that's a good gauge. Like a um, average to above average, like someone who knows fan graphs and checks it out probably has heard the name of the top 125 or 150 prospects or would at least like, know. Oh yeah, that's a guy I've heard of. That's an interesting name. So that's a, that's a decent way to put it. And I think, you know, Jays fans, you could text into 590-590 and let me know. But uh, if Aurelvis Martinez is the best player you're giving up in a Frankie Montes deal and you're not touching Moreno or Tiedemann, I think most of you would be pretty happy with that. Um, ben, before we let you go, I know that relief pitchers are so far below the scope of uh, top 50 trade value series because it's just hard for a reliever to be that valuable. But of the guys who could possibly move uh, – before tomorrow, do you have a name or two that you really, really like? Um, and maybe you put a Jay spin on it. Hmm. Let's, uh, so it's going to be relievers specifically. Mm -hmm. My favorite option, and I think this is actually, unfortunately, out of the question, 
is that the Brewers turn around and flip. Uh, wow, now I'm totally blanking. Flip Taylor Rogers for something. <laughs> the Brewers love to wheel and deal. I think Taylor <laughs> Rogers is great. Let's uh, let's assume that he's just out of the question, right? Yeah. That uh, he's not getting traded. I'm going to go with one that is tried and true and that we love here. David Bednar. Yeah. To the Blue Jays. Uh, it just makes too much sense not to happen. He's great. I mean, that's strange. Relievers are really volatile. Like, I say pitching is volatile. Relievers are really volatile. But he seems great right now. That's important. I think you could get the Pirates to toss in some of their other you know, solid-ish relief pieces. But Bednar is he has an ERA below three. His peripherals make it look like it's real. He's striking out a third of the batters he faces. And, I mean, what more do you really want for a guy that, if he gives you something in 2023, great, but he'll be good right now. I think that's an, an exactly perfect piece. And one of the things that's really useful in this, you look at this Josh Hader trade and you think, oh, man, it's going to be hard to get a good reliever. Like, that was a major league starter and a good reliever already and two prospects coming back. Well, Bednar's not going to command that. No, Hader has such a, a track record and a reputation as just one of the – maybe the best reliever in baseball over the last five years, certainly if not the best in the top three, that he's going to get a haul. And the Efros trade, I mean, Hayden Wisniewski, he's really good. I I know he's not a very popular name, and I hadn't heard of this dude at all yesterday. <laughs> and I started getting some scouting reports because I'm writing up that transaction too. And, I mean, he looks the part. He's got five good pitches. Like, that's that's a pretty decent return. I think Bednar will come for less, and I – think he's not as good as F Ross just in terms of who I'd rather have down the stretch, but I think he's right in that same tier of, Hey, this guy would be really good. And if not your best reliever, not the best reliever on the blue Jays to be clear. Like, I don't think he'd become the closer or anything Romano has that down. Uh, he'd be one of the top two, basically <laughs> he'd be second. Yeah. And that is just like, that matters a lot. The difference between that guy and, you know, the next available guy pushes everyone down. Yeah, Jimmy Garcia's then a seventh-inning guy, and Adam Simber's a where-you-need-a-ground-ball guy instead of the second-highest leverage guy. It's uh, I like it. Yeah. I, I would love a David Bednar here, so thank you for throwing that name out there. Um, thanks for taking the time out, Ben. I really appreciate it. Keep up all the great work over at Fangraphs, and I hope that you get another kind of weird, under-the-radar, one-for-one deal you can break down. I love it. Talk to you again soon, Blake. Thanks for having me on. Ben Clemens of Fangraphs. Uh, go check out his trade value series. Uh, if you are interested in Edmund Sosa and Yo-Yo Romero, you can go check that out as well. Uh, and keep an eye on all their work ahead of the deadline. Let's take a break. Let's get the pulse of the Blue Jays from the man who's in Tampa Bay with them. Shai Davidi, next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Great daily gambling advice from J.D., Blake, and Ailish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. The Blue Jays will not trade at all. I'd be surprised if they trade Gabriel Moreno. Be surprised if they trade Ricky Tiedemann. Our pal Keith Law is just for Zulueta as a top 50 prospect now. I don't know if he's even on the move. Uh, the Jays will probably do something between now and 6 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, though. 
uh, to help us get the lay of the land around the Blue Jays, the man who is in Tampa Bay with them, Shai Davidi of Sportsnet.ca. Shai, how are you? I'm all right. What's going on? Not much. Just waiting for the very, very loose rumblings to become a little rumblier, a little more rumbly, I guess. Um, when you flew to Tampa, how... So when I was on the NBA side, one of the biggest challenges of the of the transaction calendar was when you have to fly to Las Vegas for summer league, that's right in the free agent window. So you're going to miss something while you're on the plane. Did you have that same level of anxiety flying Toronto to Tampa the day before the trade deadline? Well, that's why you. Uh, I try at least to fly early in the morning if I have to fly during this period because uh, – a lot of times, you know, stuff may be going on late into the night and may not percolate that early in the morning. So I try to get it out of the way. It is a, it is a bit uncomfortable. You know, when I flew down to spring training this year, uh, as I landed on the as I landed in the United States, uh, I popped up to news of the Yusei Kikuchi signing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was hoping to not have uh, a recurrence of that and. Uh, you know, fortunately, I guess for me that it uh, had, it didn't break out that way. Fortunately for you. Um, and hey, wh- what's the harm in dragging this out uh, a little closer to the deadline? Um, the other important question from your trip from Toronto, Tampa, did you dress the part as well with the beach theme that the Jays were going with? I did not go beach <laughs> theme. I was not. I was not invited to a fancy party mm. here in the uh, Tampa area. I uh, reported for duty at the hotel, grabbed a quick bite to eat, and uh, have been a- have been after it ever since. There you go. So you are you are after it. You are down there with the team, um, at least from the Jays' corner of the of the Twitterverse and where the national reporters are coming in. Things are pretty quiet, at least publicly, on the Jays' front. Um, do you have a, a sense of anything being close? Their aggression getting ratcheted up. What what's the feel around the team right now? Well, I mean, the sense that I've gotten is that their focus has narrowed a little bit. Uh, they're still after a starter. They're still after a, a reliever, if not two. I believe there is maybe a bit more opportunity for them on the rental side, uh, although they're they're looking at uh, a, a lot of other pieces uh, or pieces with control as well. But I've had a sense, and, you know, this is really just me reading tea leaves and nothing substantive but it just feels like there's something there that that for them that we're not seeing and maybe uh maybe that's not the case and i'll be proven wrong and you know it'll all end up being you know detroit uh where they're doing a lot of their business uh, when push comes to shove i mean certainly there were a, a lot of whispers over the weekend that that there was an expectation uh that you know some of the, the tigers guys might end up staying there which didn't didn't end up happening, but it, it just feels like that, that that there might be something out there. And I was just talking with a, a scout from another team, uh, and he was saying that he thought that there were some deals out there that people don't really have a, a sense of just yet or haven't gotten in the public. And that tends to be sort of how the, this front office operates. You know, they they find some stuff. They, they've done lots of stuff that hasn't been. Uh, totally apparent before it's gone down and uh, i just wonder if that might be how things play out this time as well it could be and you know when you have names like juan soto potentially on the move it's understandable that lower tiers of guys wouldn't get talked about as much and you know on the pitching side i think it's it's primarily been 
Luis Castillo and, and Frankie Montes who are talked about. Um, those those are guys who satisfy, you know, everyone seems to think that Jays would want guys that have years of control because that's how this front office has operated. Um, you know, you could put Alex Cobb in there too, although Cobb's a bit of a different one where um, I wonder if maybe the the prospect cost isn't as high because the Giants then get out of the $10 million, uh, for next year. But you mentioned that maybe there's more opportunity for them to do something in the rental market. And that makes sense. The, the rental guys, the guys without control are going to be a little cheaper. Um, do you think that that also has something to do with this front office, you know, looking at how many prospects they gave up for Barrios and Chapman, and then maybe even looking ahead to next year's budget, which projects to be even higher than, than this year's um, because of things like raises and arbitration and things like that. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily about that. Ultimately it's all about value, mm -hmm. right? And the way that the Luis Castillo trade established the market for a rental starter, I mean, it looks like it's hard to compare apples to oranges in this case, but it's almost like the price of Luis Castillo this year was twice as much as the price on Jose Barrios last year. And, you know, that's obviously a rough estimate, but it, it was definitely higher. And, and then you may be, you know, you may be able to value Castillo a little bit more than Barrios or a little bit higher than Barrios or however you want to put it, but it's expensive, and if you're not going to get a Luis Castillo back, you definitely don't want to be using your top prospects. And you know, when I think about Montes, for example, I wonder if there's some carryover from the trade talks that the Blue Jays had with Oakland for Chapman uh, during spring training. Oakland would have some familiar with, with some different prospects, and you know, the Blue Jays didn't have to use their best prospects to get Matt Chapman. And my guess is that if they're going down that road, they're looking to do that with any of the, their top, top end guys. You know, the main piece in the Chapman deal was, was Gunnar Hoagland. And that's uh, a, a starting pitcher was certainly with some upside, but also a bit of question with him coming back from Tommy John surgery. And I wonder if maybe there's a prospect like that that would be the centerpiece of a Montes deal, and that might make it a bit more comfortable uh, in exchange for the Blue Jays. Uh, and I think ultimately, unless they're going to get a top-end talent, like the Blue Jays wouldn't have parted with Austin Martin if they weren't going to get Jose Barrios back. So, you know, they're not going to give up one of their, you know, top three or four guys unless they're going to be getting that caliber of player in return with some control, that deal may no longer be out there for them. And that's why I wonder if they end up dipping or a bit more aggressively into the rental market. Are there any names that come to mind to you on the starting pitching side for rentals? We could go through a, you know, I think I, I did a filter earlier for um, relievers on sub 500 teams that have a certain strikeout rate and a certain walk rate. And there were like 41 names that came back. So we could go through a bunch of those, but have you found yourself um, narrowing in on, or, you know, doing your due diligence on um, any kind of rental starter? You know, a little bit with uh, on the starting side, I haven't spent, to be honest, as much time on those rental services. It's really not a particularly inspiring list. Uh, you know, Ben Nicholson-Smith has been, you know, quietly predicting Drew Smiley. 
Uh, and I can certainly see that that makes uh, a lot of sense. And uh, I do believe also, you know, they could look into on the lower tier of things like a, like a Chad cool or something along those lines. Uh, but, you know, I think more uh, on the reliever side, I think there's a little bit more, I feel a little bit more confident that, you know, David Robertson is someone that they like, uh, you know, Michael Fulmer's name has been out there. I think that, that kind of, kind of makes sense for them. I think in the relief market, they definitely don't want to sacrifice one of a top end player to get or top end prospect to, for the volatility of a reliever with some control. So I could certainly see things playing out that way. In terms of relievers, do you know if this front office has any sort of hesitation to, we hear this sometimes and I've never really understood the logic because I'm of the mind focus on making your team the best possible and whatever everyone else does, whatever. But some teams, I guess, prefer to trade outside the division. Um, And maybe Boston and Baltimore aren't far enough out of it yet anyway for this to matter. But both of those teams have a handful of interesting pitchers if they were to be sellers. Um, Does this front office have an openness to deal within within the division? Well, we saw it go the other way a few years ago when they traded Hap to, to, oh, the, to the New York Yankees. Yeah. And, and the Pierce thing for, for Santiago Espinal, yeah. But that, was in a, but that was in a selling capacity, right? Right, right. And so that you get the future upside and you're not really worried about what uh, that player looks like in return. Uh, you know, I, it's not a question that I've examined in, in, a, in a deep way. I, my guess is that there might be some reluctance there, but at the same time, you know, if you get the right guy and it's the right price and the value makes sense, then how can you not? So uh, there may be there may be a two way reluctance to that uh, from from other teams, uh, you know, especially uh, if, I can't I can't imagine the Red Sox selling players to the Blue Jays, watching them help the Blue Jays in the postseason, going over very well in Boston. So, you know, I think there, that, that's where there might be a bigger impediment on that front. Uh, but it is an interesting question. And again, we have seen it in reverse. Here's my four-dimensional chess answer to that, though, Shy, is that Red Sox fans would probably get a kick out of helping the Jays knock off the Yankees. So maybe if you think real uh, conspiratorially, uh, you, can, you can get there with it. Um, in terms of the reliever market, so again, we could go through a bunch of names and maybe we'll hit on a couple uh, depending on how much time we have before we let you go. But may, and, and maybe this is more just to see what they've got in this role. Maybe it's more about potential roster expansion in September. But do you read anything at all into starting pitching prospects, Yosfer Zulueta and Hayden Younger moving to the bullpen recently in the minors? I, I think there's two fronts there. One, both those guys are approaching sort of uh, higher inning totals uh, relative to their career. And it was, I believe something like this was all had always been envisioned. Okay. But two, both of those guys uh, have also been discussed internally as candidates and probably the likeliest candidates from, you know, the, the prospect class. To, to come up and emerge and be factors for this team in 2022. So uh, I do think there's the dual tracks there. Uh, in part, it is about managing their workloads. You know, Yosef Zulueta is trying to get wire to wire in the season for the first time in, in a long time after, you know, having Tommy John surgery and then having his, uh, having his 2021 cut short by a knee injury on the first batter he faced. Uh, 
and, and Hayden Younger, too, is a closer in college uh, and has been a starter uh, in, the, in the minor leagues for the Blue Jays and has had a very, very good season, one that has opened a lot of eyes. And I, and someone who's put himself on the radar because of it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And, you know, the the workload factor was something I, I had clocked with Zulueta and then hadn't realized just how few innings younger had pitched uh, in recent years. So he's already up over 60 after only throwing 20 last year. So that's a, well, 20 as a pro last year. So that's an interesting one for sure. And, you know, anytime you've got a guy that can miss bats like that, you got to start thinking. I, I know everyone, you know, usually it's wait until they prove they can't be a starter before you move them, but you got a window here. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting one there. In terms of the feeling around the team, Shy, and whether this was on the weekend or, or over the last couple of weeks, they've railed off this 12-3 and three stretch coming out of that shaky West Coast trip. Um, if you're this front office, do you feel a, an extra urgency that, you know, these guys have kind of earned reinforcements by showing you what, what they have? Like, is there any sort of that? Or is it, it like, I, I'm always curious if it goes that way where these guys want reinforcements because they know they're good and they know they're close or the opposite way where they think they have enough and, and you know, they want to they wanna keep winning with this group. Um, what is the vibe around the team from a trade front? Yeah, that's actually really interesting. And I was just digging up uh, comparatively where they were last year when they made the move for Jose Barrios compared to where they were at this year. And last year, they were 51-48 and 48 with playoff odds uh, calculated by Fangraphs at 26.2%. And this year, before they've made their moves ahead of the deadline, their playoff odds are at 97.2%. And, you know, that's obviously a huge difference. And you could say to one extent okay, you're in a much better spot. You're making the playoffs. There's an extra postseason berth as well. You don't need to go nuts with this group. On the flip side, you can say, well, the opportunity is so strong that you should do everything within your power to bolster it because maybe it's better next year, but how much better is it going to get? And... I think that's part of the debate. Definitely there's some expectation among players that there's going to be some additions. Uh, certainly they're, they're feeling that they've played well enough to, to justify augmentation. At the same time, you know, they do feel a lot of belief and faith in the group that they have. But you know, I think when you look at it too, if you look at sort of the World Series probabilities as they stand today, you know, the Jays have the sixth best, uh, sixth best odds of winning the World Series. They're at 6.8%. The Dodgers, Astros, Mets, Yankees, and Atlanta are ahead of, are ahead of them. But can they close that a little bit and give, them a, give themselves a better opportunity? And if you're the front office, how can you, how can you look at this opportunity and say, now is not the time? to to try to do everything we can so you know, i think for all those reasons you will see some moves perhaps some moves of some significance but the, always with this uh, with the way this front office operates they're they always have the 
bigger picture in mind and sort of being responsible. And we'll see how they balance that, uh, how they balance on that high wire this year. Is there any amount of looking across the aisle at, at what the Mariners did with the Luis Castillo move being that, you know, I think if you were to handicap the race from here, it's going to be the, like, it would look like Jay's Mariners in the wild card and, and maybe a fight from here to, to host that series. Um, do you do that? Or is it just kind of eyes on your own page and maximize the, the team you have here? You can't operate in a vacuum, but being reactionary is not a good way to operate right. either, right? So, you know, certainly that changes the landscape. Maybe it changes how you think about what you might need in a potential playoff series. Because I do think a lot of what the Jays are doing right now is, you know, it's one, trying to find enough depth to make sure that you get there. But two, starting to position your roster with some pieces that you're going to need in the playoffs, right? And when you think about that, you think about bullpen, and especially with the, the group that the Jays have, it's chances are games are going to be decided with a, a reliever in the mound, or they'll be settled or needed to be secured with a reliever on the mound. So how many of your relievers do you trust in that spot right now if you're the Blue Jays? And that, that becomes the obvious area of augmentation. So you might look at Seattle and say, okay, well, now they can throw out Ray, Castillo, and Kirby, for instance, in a, in a three-game series. Yeah, that's pretty good. Do you react to that or do you say, well, we need to optimize ourselves by making sure that we can lock down a lead if we get one? Yeah, and that's, the, that's a tough part, and it's not – Obviously, it's never a blessing to be down so much in the in the division, but you do have the ability, if you so choose, if you're confident about getting there and your biggest priority is getting over that next hurdle, which is that three-game series, to kind of look at, well, okay, you have Gosman, Manoa, Brios, so does a fourth, does an extra starter impact you as much as maybe two bullpen arms might? And I know Ben Nicholson-Smith, our colleague, just had a piece go up. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read it beyond the kind of headline and subheading yet, but it's basically like, yeah, wins above replacement for relievers say that relievers don't make a ton of impact, but that stat is kind of in a vacuum. And when you think marginally and the situations you're going to be in, then relievers are really, really important, exponentially so uh, relative to, you know, what a, like, does Joe Jimenez make much of a difference for the Tigers? Not in the grand scheme of things, but for a team like the Jays, maybe really does. Uh, Shai, before we let you go here and let you get back to enjoying lovely St. Petersburg, um, you said that you you think, you know, maybe a starter and, and one or two bullpen arms going to put you on the spot just because Ben Nicholson Smith did it too. And you, you mentioned his drew smiley prediction. Do you have a prediction for me as to who will be talking about this time tomorrow, or I guess this time plus two hours tomorrow. You know what? I don't, I don't have a a strong prediction. I, uh, there have been a lot, there's been a lot of back and forth in terms of different things that I, that I've heard. So I don't want to just kind of throw something out there. And there are a number of different things in play. They have a, a lot of different op- options right now. Uh, you know, it's really hard to, to gauge that, uh, at least on the starting front. I, I do feel that David Robertson could be the, the, the one rental reliever they really want to get. You know, he fits them uh, in a number of ways because he's got some American League East experience. Uh, he's an older guy. He's been around. He's not going to get scared in a big moment because he's been there, done that. 
and they could certainly use that dynamic in their bullpen. So, you know, if, uh, that might be the one prediction that I'll leave you with. Uh, I could see them making a, a big push there. Uh, but I know yeah. that this trade deadline has been really weird uh, in terms of the different or just how, how, how many different factors can kind of play into it. So, you know, I'm having maybe a tougher read on it, uh, figuring things out this year compared to other years. That's okay. These things are, these things are difficult. And, you know, it took 10 years of me predicting the Raptors would trade for Thad Young at the deadline for it to finally happen. So, you know, there, there are some names out there too, that have been like, Oh, the Jays could get this guy. The Jays could get this guy. I think David Robertson's been on that list in the past. So maybe this is the year. Uh, Shai Davidi, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. I uh, really appreciate it and looking forward to all your work, uh, whatever happens this next little bit. Thanks, Blake. Talk soon, man. Shai Davidi of sportsnet.ca. Uh, and as a reminder, uh, I mentioned it there. I haven't got a chance to read it yet, but Ben Nicholson-Smith just dropped one over at the flagship, sportsnet.ca. So go check that out. Um, ben Nicholson-Smith's take on why the Jays should be aggressive in the relief pitching market. You should read it because Ben's great, but the answer to why the Jays should be aggressive in the relief pitching market is simply you have watched this team and you've watched baseball before and you know that there is never, ever a time where you feel comfortable about a bullpen, period. And then especially a bullpen that doesn't miss a lot of bats. And I don't mean to say the Jays bullpen has been bad. They've been, they are the, them and the Milwaukee Brewers are the exact are the median teams in terms of reliever ERA. That's not you got a sub four ERA as a bullpen. That's okay. You don't have to be too upset about that. But you have higher expectations, higher ambitions to Goran Dragic it and, and uh, oh no, oh no. According to Jack Curry of the Yes Network, the Yankees have acquired. Frankie Montes and Lou Trevino from the Oakland Athletics. And according to Dan Connolly of the Athletic, the Orioles are sending Trey Mancini to the Astros. What a chaotic 20 seconds on the timeline. Frankie Montes and Lou Trevino to the Yankees. Ugh. Bad time to have to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to talk to Mikey Ahedo of Baseball Prospectus. Uh, he'll have the scoop for us on Luis Castillo in Seattle and how aggressive they're going to be. And he's a guy who knows Frankie Montes. Well, we'll talk to him about that. We'll also uh, try to figure out what the tilt move is for the Blue Jays to get back in this thing. Frankie Montes and Lou Trevino to the Yankees, according to Jack Curry of the Yes Network, and Trey Mancini to the Astros, according to Dan Connolly of the Athletic. Robert Murray now also tweeting Montes to the Yankees. So uh, that one looks real. Mikey Ahedo of Baseball Prospectus helps us sort through it next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Losing a whole year. What a what a fitting song if the Jays aren't a part of this uh, amazing deadline swirl of moves that we're getting here. Uh, a couple days ago, the Mariners get Luis Castillo. 
We're going to talk to our pal Mikey Ahedo in a second about that. And if you missed it before the break, Frankie Montes and Lou Trevino going to the Yankees. Trey Mancini going to the Astros, the two top teams in the AL. Get a little stronger. The wild card battle and the AL Central battle, a little less aggressive so far. Still 25 and a half hours. You're going to have John Morosi on fan drive time coming up in a little bit to get the lay of the land. We just talked to Shai Davidi about what the feel is around Toronto. The Yankees pulling even further away in the American League East. They're far enough ahead that the Jays might be focused on the Seattle Mariners now. Help us take a look at the Mariners and whip around the remaining pitchers on the market of baseball prospectus and 538. It's Mikey Ahedo. Mikey, uh, before we get into that, how are your cats doing post-surgery, buddy? Oh, my gosh. They are, they're still monsters. Um, I looked it up. It looks like six to eight-week timeline for, for, you know, uh, for the hormones to kind of potentially balance. But um, I have my partner at my house right now kind of watching after them because they're, they're still, you know, they're not making good decisions. Hmm. So they're questionable for the playoffs with that six to eight week timeline then. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think with that timeline, yeah, it's, 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 it's extremely questionable. Uh, okay. So um, right before you came on, Frankie Montes going to the, to the Yankees here, we'll, we'll circle back to that one in a second. Uh, I had planned mm-hmm. to talk to you a lot about Frankie Montes because your Seattle Mariners just picked up, Luis Castillo. And I thought that that was maybe a a market setter. Uh, So let's do the Mariners side first. Your thoughts Mm. on this ownership group being as aggressive as that move suggests in terms of, Hey, let's end this playoff drought. I was shocked. Um, I mean, you know, as, as someone who's, who's grown up, you know, really following the Mariners since, (laughs) since I can remember, um, I can't really remember, you know, a, a deadline splash quite like this, really ever, um, especially since, you know, being more involved on the, the, the analytics side of, of things. So I, I think it really sends a message to the clubhouse and, and I mean, to fans alike, um, because it, it is an aggressive move. And I think there are some people that are saying it was something of an overpay. But, you know, when I think about, I think they said a dozen teams were um, involved, like having to outbid all of those teams. Um, and also, you know, if you think about it optically, if you don't, if you don't do this, if you miss out, um, you know, because if you don't get Castillo, what, what it was, you know, going to be is, oh, the Mariners were, they were in, but they got up in the end. It doesn't look good. And, you know, when I zoom out and look, I'm like, you just got a something resembling an ace without giving away, you know, a major leaguer or anyone that's reached AAA so far. So you know, obviously Marte and, and Arroyo are, are the guys that are going to really dictate how, how this, um, you know, how it ages. Uh, but the Mariners are a lot scarier than they were, you know, a couple of days ago. Yeah. And, you know, they might not be done, right? There, there's still some room to improve. I, I don't know if uh, Julio Rodriguez hitting the, the IL changes anything at all. Uh, I know George Kirby and Logan Gilbert have looked varying degrees of good. So maybe starting pitching is in an area, but could you see this team doing a little bit more still? I think they should. Um, I think they, you know, I think Jerry DePoto would be remiss if he didn't. Um, To me, there is something of a hole at second base, um, you know, depending on how Adam Frazier, you know, um, really performs uh, because he hasn't been the same guy that, 
definitely that he was last year, but also like, you know, he's been down from his previous years as well. Um, I think pushing him out of a starting role and into more of the Abraham Toro role that Toro's in right now, even though he just, you know, helped the Mariners win over the Astros the other day um, is something that would be to the Mariners benefit. They have a little bit of flexibility in that. I think they can add an outfielder or a second baseman, given that Julio went down and Kyle Lewis, you know, is injury prone, can't hardly play the outfield and that Hanniger is, should be back before Friday or by Friday. Um, but it's like, you know, is he going to stay healthy? How much can he play in the outfield? I think, you know, what they're going to want to do is, is add someone who, um, you know, can, can do one of those things, like probably someone who can fake it in center field, down that Julio's down, maybe someone that can play second base. Um, a backup catcher would be good because Elise Torrens is currently the backup catcher. Um, and there, I think there are really interesting options on the, on the, on the market, like Donovan Solano and um, Wilmer Flores, like are, are older, but, you know, pretty compelling guys, especially when you're thinking about people like, like, I don't know, Dylan Moore and, and, and Adam Frazier currently playing at second base. So I think they, they have more options than Jerry DePoto is, um, is suggesting because he, he essentially said like, where do we add? And it's like, I think you can add almost anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the disrespect to Canadian legend, Abraham Toro won't stand, but uh, the rest of it, I, <laughs> I could, I could see. Um, so we, we do have the return package here for, um, for Frankie Montes and Lou Trevino. So we got to keep in mind, obviously, that uh, there is a reliever in there as well with Montes. Uh, based on some lists, there's two top 100 prospects in there and Waldachuk and Medina, um, 5, 10, 20, and 21 in the Yankee system based on MLB pipeline. Um, when you hear that return, Sears, Waldachuk, Bowman, Medina, uh, two top 100s, four top 20 in the system, guys, do you feel any differently about the price for Luis Castillo? Um, I, I mean... Not really. Um, I think at the end of the day, you you want to view things um, sort of. You know, it's like if I'm the Mariners, I'm not I'm not thinking about you know other teams' moves. I'm thinking about you know is is this enough to get it done? If yes, like does it get us into the playoffs? And I think right now uh, it does. But yeah, I mean that certainly sounds like a lighter package. Um, I still I still feel you know, and I still feel strongly about the Castillo um, I think a lot more strongly about it than than a lot of people do because because you know they gave up such young guys and guys who have struggled um, and so I, I kind of you know think of it as they they really sold high on guys that are performing right now um, so it's a bummer like I, I don't want to be like a uh, you know an analytics like players are assets kind of guy because I adore especially Noelvi Marte and, and Arroyo, you know, looks, looks really special. And Jerry DePoto, you know, um, made a note of that too. But um, I wish that the Mariners were uh, maybe on the other side if we think about, you know, what they're giving up. Sure. Um, so I, I guess to, to bring this back, since this is a Toronto show, we look at the standings here, the Jays uh, a little ahead of the Mariners certainly looks like neither team is going to be able to catch uh, the division leader ahead of them. Maybe it's a race between the two of them to see who gets to host uh, a wild card series. Do you, as a Mariners guy, watch the Jays a little more closely the rest of the way and particularly between now and the deadline? Oh, for sure. I mean, and I think, I think we, we kind of joked about it last time, but I, I really am, you know, a, a, 
a fan of sorts of the team. Um, I, I think that, you know, the Jays are, are probably going to finish um, ahead of the, the Mariners just based on, you know, how they've already performed and, and how their, their team is. But, um, you know, right now they're, they're really neck and neck. So um, I'll be watching closely for sure. Yeah, that'd be, uh, it'd be fun. Um, and <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost unfortunate that one team hosts the whole three game set because the whole Jays fans invading Seattle thing could be a fun playoff wrinkle. Oh, but Lord. if it's, uh, if it's only a three game set all in one place, uh, I, I would rather watch it in uh, <laughs> Toronto. So Frankie Montes has moved now too. And we were going to talk about him as kind of a, you know, around the Castillo price. And now we know the price for both of them. When you look around at potential starting pitchers left on the market who you could see moving by the deadline, and I'm not suggesting the Jays be reactionary. This is a name that I've liked all along and think with a with the level of control uh, still there and the age, he makes sense. Um, is Pablo Lopez a guy that would move the needle for you in terms of, oh, the Jays are, are you know, a pretty serious threat? For sure. Um, I actually think he's probably, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know if he's thought of in that kind of Montas tier, but I, I, I certainly think that um, he, in terms of talent and in terms of, of output um, really is up there. I, I think Pablo Lopez, um, just because he's not, he's not, <laughs> you know, one of the sexier types isn't, um, as respected maybe as, as he should be. Um, but I think at the end of the day, that's, uh, they really do offer similar packages. It just comes in, in slightly, you know, different forms. So, um, I guess, you know, contract situation aside, because I, I don't know the specific details. Um, I, I think Pablo Lopez does offer something similar. Um, I know that he, he has struggled um, as of late, but I think it started to turn it around. Um, so I, uh, he is a former Mariner. He didn't he didn't play uh, at the major league level for them, but I, I've always really loved Pablo Lopez and and uh, kind of hoped that he would return to Seattle. Well, you got Castillo. Don't be don't be greedy, Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> we got to uh, we got to spread it out and make sure this AL race and the AL playoffs are as good as possible. Uh, yeah, if, true. <laughs> if we look a little further down, you know, we get into the the next tier, and I would have certainly had Lopez in a tier with Castillo and Montes. Um, that next tier is maybe like an Alex Cobb, Noah Syndergaard kind of tier guys that cost a little more, a little older, maybe a little less upside right now. Um, are there, are there any guys in that kind of tier that you look at? And like you just said, Pablo Lopez, maybe a little under the radar, um, someone in that next tier down that could also be under the radar and make a difference uh, between today and tomorrow. Oh, I love, I love Alex Cobb. Um, I think, I think right now, you know, Syndergaard is, is more of a name. Um, I think that's someone flying really under the radar, like really under the radar is, uh, Merrill Kelly, um, yeah. who, you know, came into this year with a, a, a much more interesting um, changeup. And, and, you know, uh, given that the, the Diamondbacks are not particularly good, um, I think he is someone who can give you a really sneaky amount of, um, of quality innings. Um, I don't think, you know, that the Giants are going to be letting go of, of Logan Webb. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe like Jose Quintana or JT Brubaker too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to 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 kind of throw around a a group of names. I think they're you know more maybe even a a, a tier below Cobb. But um, 
you know, at the end of the day, offer something similar. Brew Baker would be an amusing one to me because I have a running bit. Um, I, I also I help out with the fan morning show here sometimes, and uh, mm-hmm. there's like a best bets segment that we do. And there mm-hmm. there was a stretch of man, JT Brubaker is such a he's a hard luck zero and seven, and I kept just like <laughs> hoping that better things happen for him. The day he got right. his first win was uh, was such a such a good one. Merrill Kelly's an interesting one yeah. too because like that could just be a salary dump like he makes 14 and a half this year 18 each mm-hmm. of the next two years Arizona might just want out of that uh and he's mm-hmm. been terrific so um Mikey I I want to this is a little I guess it, it's gonna pale in comparison to them adding Benintendi and Montes and um and even Trevino but I do want to ask you about Scott Efros who the Yankees acquired um elite slider sinker combo low walk rate and you've picked up something in his delivery that we can, you know, the Jays are going to play the Yankees a bunch down the stretch. Uh, what do you like about Efros for the Yankees bullpen? I adore Scott Efros. I know I, I've already said I adored several people. It's okay. But, Baseball's uh, fun. We're allowed to like lots of right? guys. Exactly. Um, I Really, anytime someone throws sidearm, uh, they're they're probably going to be good unless, uh, you know, they, they, they throw 80 with their fastball. Um he, you know, he, he's another one of the, the new sweeper guys. So he has a plus plus uh, or plus, you know, slider uh, and a good sinker too. And the, the thing about, you know, really these types of guys is like, I think I said last time, like I always, one of the first things I check is can this guy throw strikes? And um, I tweeted earlier today, like this guy hardly throws any balls at all. I think both his, his slider and sinker um, are about, 30 percentage, uh, 30 percent in, in ball percentage, which means, you know, he, he really doesn't throw hardly any balls at all. Um, and so, you know, his sidearm arm slot helps him create a ton of, um, a sweep on a slider and a lot of arm side movement or movement the other way and sink on his sinker. So not only does he throw a lot of strikes and not very many balls, but I think he's one of those pitchers that, you know, he's inducing a lot of really weak movement. And I think that's legitimate. Whereas um, I think people have the tendency to jump the gun because of, you know, small sample size and, and people's misunderstanding of how samples work. But I think because of the nature of his, his pitch movement, he is someone that, you know, can, can get guys to, to beat the ball, you know, the, the sinker on the ground. And, and, and we know that that sweepers have the tendency to, to create a lot of, um, uh, a lot of pop-ups. So, you know, at the end of the day, when you, when you look at it, it's like, Oh yeah, he, he induces a, a, a league average amount of, of ground balls and, and kind of the same with pop-ups, but really what he's doing is all of his pop-ups are, are, are coming from his slider. All of his ground balls are coming from his sinkers and they're all really, you know, weakly hit. So he really is a uh, kind of the full package and, and really what, you know, the Yankees are, are modeling a lot of their, um, their, their pitchers after. All right, Mikey, uh, we got to end it on a Jays thing. So they didn't get Montes. They didn't get Lou Trevino. They didn't get any of these guys yet. There's still a lot of time before the deadline. Um, we talked about some under the radar starting pitching arms. Is there, or are there a couple of relievers out there that you, you know, say, say the news comes down right as we get off the air, the Jays got this guy you think to yourself, damn, that makes a, a series tougher for the Mariners. Ooh, uh, 
Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I, <laughs> I think a lot of them are on the Mariners. Um, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to think of a name in particular. I think Efros is is uh, is there, one of those yeah. names that, yeah, that I would have thought. Um, I think Chris Martin just went the other day. Yep, to the um, Dodgers. I mean, I think a lot of them are are on you know playoff contending teams. Um, so I don't I don't have any off any off top, but if if you have any, I can definitely. I can definitely weigh in. Yeah, I mean, the my, the one that strikes me, and I, I came back to him because Trey Mancini just moved. Um, Baltimore has a lot of options back there in a Jorge Lopez and names like that. But Felix Batista is a guy that I've yep. I've kind of come back to a couple times. Really good uh, strikeout to walk ratio, uh, sub two ERA, which is always great too. Um, and a guy who... You know, I don't know if you're the Orioles. If you're say if you're selling Trey Mancini, you, you're you're maybe open to to selling high on a reliever too. For sure, he was actually a name that that I was um, staring at. But um, you know, given how uh, Baltimore is actually kind of uh, doing sort of a, a Seattle thing, um, yeah, Felix Bautista is definitely definitely a similar thing. Where his fastball, um, Brian Menendez wrote about it at at BP. Um, Tons of ride, you know, fits ninety nine, and he's he's got a, a a splitter, a good splitter to to go with it, and a, a slider that's definitely not bad. So I think he he's someone who who certainly moves the needle, um, and would do so, you know, for the uh, for the Blue Jays. Well, that's uh, let's hope something happens here, uh, Mikey. And man, I. Uh... I know that this is not how probabilities work. I know that we can't lock in the standings here on August 1st, but really hoping we get to chat in October about a fun Jays Mariners wildcard series. No kidding. It would, it would be, you know, a blast. So fingers crossed. All right, Mike, thanks so much, man. Keep up the great work at BP and uh, 538. All right. Thanks. That was Mikey Ahedo of Baseball Prospectus and 538. Uh, we had to change that one up a little bit. We were going to try to tee up uh, Frankie Montes' fit with the Blue Jays. Uh, some tweets coming down from, from Jeff Blair that, um, and and this is Jeff Blair's opinion, not reporting, that um, given the, the that Ryu is already hurt and the concerns with Kikuchi, maybe Montes' shoulder uh, issues were, were of a concern or they would concern you. Uh, I'm not sure. The, the asking price on Montes and Trevino ended up being two top 60 prospects. If you're looking at fan graphs uh, for the top 20 in the Yankee system, if you're looking at MLB.com. So, you know, the Jays don't have an exact equivalent of that, but it would be something like Tiedemann and Josef Zulueta or Aurelvis Martinez, Josef Zulueta, Jordan Groshans, and, and another piece. If you're trying to, compare there. Um, these are always apples to oranges uh, across systems and across positions and timelines, but big haul for Oakland is the the keynote there as was the haul for Luis Castillo. People are, you know, gonna feel like the Jays are falling further behind here. There are 25 hours to the trade deadline still. I don't think you're going to see the Jays do something that matches adding Montes Trevino, Benintendi and Efros over the course of uh, a couple days. That's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, Trey Mancini's a great fit on the Astros as well. I assume some of these contenders, not the Yankees, but the others are going to look at adding uh, a catcher here and there over the next 25 hours. Uh, lots of relievers out there though. I'd be shocked if the Jays don't fortify the bullpen. 
The bigger question is going to be, do they, are they able to address starting pitching at a price that they are comfortable with? And is the price for someone with years of control prohibitive, whereas some, the price for a rental is a little easier to stomach in terms of prospect capital. If it's someone on a short contract, maybe just eating the money goes a long way. That's, that's kind of the sell beyond the, the buy low. If you are looking at a Noah Syndergaard type, you could look higher at a Pablo Lopez type. A lot of names in between there, like an Alex Cobb. Um, you know, you've got your Jose Quintana's, your Sandoval's, names like that around the fringes. And Merrill Kelly, one that Mikey threw out there, is a name that I had scribbled on my sheet for today and didn't get around to, but uh, I like Merrill Kelly. The The contract is a pause because he's in his 30s and there are three years left at um, about 17 per averaged out. That's uh, maybe a tough one given you have 20 mil dead in Ryu and, and um, next year, then the year after will be 10 for Kikuchi and um, it, it kind of trickles down from there. But he's an interesting name that because of that salary maybe wouldn't cost a lot in terms of prospect capital. Nothing happened for us over these two hours. We had good chats with Ben Clemens, Shai Davidi, and Mikey Ahedo. And the fan drive time is going to have John Morosi on here momentarily. But no news for us. No Jay's news for us anyway. Maybe we'll get more fortunate tomorrow. We do have an extra hour tomorrow. Uh, Jay's Talk Plus returns 2 to 5 tomorrow. And... That last hour, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m., will be simulcast on TV. We'll be joined by John Morosi and Ben Nicholson-Smith in that hour. It's Tuesday, so we'll have Chris Black and Joe Siddle off the top at 2 o'clock. Drew Fairservice is going to join us. And if there's actual news, I'd imagine lots of people are going to join us. You'll be able to send us your texts and tweets and all that as well. Uh, Sorry I didn't get to a lot of your texts today. I know there are some reactions to the Montes deal, some other people um, kicking in their own trade proposals, their own uh, ideal trade deadlines. One guy complaining about John Tavares um, in the middle of Major League Baseball trade deadline. I don't really know what that guy was listening to when he texted in, but sure. Uh, (laughs) Sure, John Tavares, uh, the topic of the day. Thank you to um, Shai and Mikey and Ben for coming on with us. Thanks to Jared and Andrew Behind the glass on a holiday, no less. Ben Ennis coming in here right after me. He's got John Morosi. So you get a little more lay of the land ahead of the deadline here. Jay's Talk Plus returns 2 to 5 p.m. tomorrow. Extended show for the deadline. The deadline is at 6 p.m. Eastern, by the way. So we'll do three hours and then we'll sign off. And then the drive time will get all the deadline buzzer beaters. Uh, But we'll be back with you tomorrow for three hours. One of them on TV. I'm Blake Murphy. This is the Jay's Talk Plus on Sports F590, The Fan.